Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the podcast, Why Are You Sober? As always, I am Sam, the host and sober addict, and I'm so glad you all are here. Well, Why Are You Sober? is a space where sober addicts come to share their stories of addiction, where it led them, how they got sober, and why they continue to choose sobriety today. The goal is just to spread some experience, strength, and hope to others, and particularly those who might be suffering. If you are a sober addict, I welcome you to come and share your story. You never know who you might be, who might be listening and who your story connects with. Or if you are somebody struggling with addiction and need some help or have questions, please feel free to reach out. You can reach me through my website, whyareyousober.org, or my email is sam at whyareyousober.org. And you can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So last week, I just want to say again, thank you to my friend Trip for coming on and sharing his story and being so vulnerable. Um, I know that that can be hard, but the stuff that he shared was so great and his story is so wonderful. And uh, his partner, she is just one of the most amazing people in the world. And so I am so blessed to know them and have them in my life. Well, this week we have a new... Um, person here, her name is Corinne. Corinne and I go back to high school. Um, and I just felt so honored that she agreed to come on and share her story. Her story is wicked cool. And it was so fun to just reconnect with her after 23 years. Cause yes, I graduated high school in 2000. So I feel old, but it was really great to connect with her. And it just felt like old friends just catching up. So I hope you all enjoy it. Sit back, relax, and uh, let's start out with a serenity prayer. Good and gracious friend, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. So, Corinne, I am so grateful that you have decided to come on this podcast. I can't believe it has probably been, what, like um, 20 years since we've like seen each other? Yes. Yeah. At first I thought 25 and then it was like, all right, I'm aging myself here, which is okay. But yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, um, and usually my son, I was saying is napping, but he might be joining us with some coups and occasional yeah. like pops and sounds. Um, he has nine months. So enjoy of, that. Of course. Totally. I, I can't believe you're a mom. Like I was trying to think like, so did you go to general Wayne? No, okay. I went to, yeah, I was in ONJ until okay. high school. Okay. Yeah. So you and I were only in high school together and you were a year behind me, right? Yep. That yep. was it. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I uh, usually in talking with, with my friends who come on, I ask them, what is your addiction? All right. So um, my primary addiction, I would say uh, drugs and alcohol. And I usually say drugs first I realize and I don't know if that's just like a language thing and it flows better or oh, okay. if it is because um drugs I guess were brought my my drug of choice um but it, it literally is anything that makes me feel different is my addiction yeah okay I, I understand <laughs> I, that yeah I even went so far as to you know I, I wrote a song in my 20s and it was called sucker for a state change and it is about being addicted to like having a change of mental or physical state. Of course, at that time, I had no idea that I was an alcoholic addict. <laughs> I wow. just wrote the song. Yeah. And, um, that, that was almost my like, oh, as I look back in hindsight. But yeah, any anything I would pretty 
um, without question take if it I, if I could put it in my body and it would make me feel different and and I think that I probably am addicted to love and relationships and all that other stuff too yeah <laughs> like most of us most of us yeah. addicts are so like no one escapes from it um, so Corinne like growing like when did your addiction start so I believe that it started uh, in high school, which is interesting because I know that, you know, you had decided not starting that. And it's like, you know, everyone's story is a little different. But yeah, I guess as far as putting a substance in my body and being like, oh, OK, like here we are, um, that would be high school. Yeah. But um, the idea of addiction, because I know in some literature it says you know the idea of the actor and running the show and being the or you know the director on the stage and i love that um description because we i think about it in like positive terms obviously we you and i both have like a stage background yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah we both yep but, we were definitely the theater geeks back in high school yes yes but as a child that was like a really um intense part of my brain for me like i couldn't I remember being a kid and feeling like, like, why isn't everyone doing what I want them to do? Why is everyone treating me like I'm little? Like I would be three years old and like 35 in my brain. Yeah. <laughs> and wondering like, why is everyone patronizing me? And I was so intense and felt things so deeply and so intensely all the time. And well, looking back, it's like, do I say then that I was just, you know, born an alcoholic addict? I don't know, but it definitely runs in my family. Um, however, I, yeah, I think I was 15 and I got involved in um, like the cool slash like, <laughs> I don't know how to describe it, like the kids who like take like, um, like environmental science, like mm -hmm. instead of chemistry and like, you know, listen to Pink Floyd. Yeah. That crew and i was like yes they like me and i was in a band all of a sudden other than just the marching band <laughs> and oh I, yeah oh yeah uh, yeah and I, so i got into that but i had like this double life at 15 so like by day i was being a you know quote unquote good student and doing the marching band and all the other things that you know band and drama kids do and by night I was using a lot of substances and, you know, um, just I felt like I was different people. And that just mm. compounded over the years, that idea of like being a different person for a different role in your life. And it's exhausting. Like it's absolutely exhausting. I remember standing in marching band at band practice at attention. If you're a band kid, you know what I'm talking about, like hands up, you know, hand over hand. And I was on morphine at the time. And I was like, you know, just like <laughs> recreational. <laughs> and I remember standing there like, oh, wow, my, my two people are colliding right now. What do I do? And, <laughs> and I had to like march forward, like literally march. And I didn't know what to do with that. And I think that had I known at the time, I could have addressed all this way sooner than when I did. But that was probably like... I feel like that was the moment I realized this was really going to be a part of my, or maybe I didn't realize, but now mm. I know that's when it became a part of my life for the long term. 
Wow. Wow. So, um, yeah, I remember talking with my sister about this thing called highly sensitive people. Yes, I've heard that too. Yeah. Yeah. And that is really sounding, I mean, she says, my sister's like, everyone in our family is highly sensitive. But, um, I mean, that really sounds like very similar to what was going on with you, that you were just very highly sensitive to mm-hmm. every, to your feelings, to your surroundings, to everything. Yep, so, yep. And now I have this daughter who is like, <laughs> I think of her and these that highly sensitive quality. And it's so interesting because it's like you want to nurture it because I think it's a really amazing like way too human in the world, but it's mm-hmm. also hard, you know, yeah. and I think we're learning more about it and how to address it and how to function, you know, with that so that we don't use and drink to either mask or numb or, yeah. you know, all the reasons that we do that. Or um, just to cope. I mean, I, cope, I, right? I think, I, I mean, that's where I go to in my own story is that I just was trying to cope and I was like, yep. this is making me feel better. So, yep. Yep. If it makes you feel better. And sometimes, strangely, coping for me would even look like, and I don't know if you can relate to this, but like, even if it didn't make me feel better, back to that idea of it feeling different, sometimes coping for me was feeling bad if that bad feeling seemed to match what I thought I deserved or what I what that big feeling of like anger or big feeling of sadness oh yeah if I could physically make my body go to that place it's like it aligned you know and um so it wasn't always even about like feeling happy or good it was just like feeling some sort of coherence with those big sensitive highly sensitive feelings that would just come and sort of wash over us yeah Um, yeah yeah that makes a lot of um, sense yeah yeah so but like you I didn't have you know I had a pretty great childhood um growing up you know I things happened and I think you know not rich not poor somewhere in the middle um but there were some like things in my family that happened that I guess weren't as idyllic as my childhood was sold to me not terrible terrible things not even things that um changed the course of you know too much of our future but it was like things that you know I grew up and I sort of had this idea of what childhood looked like and I have very loving parents still like super loving super funny connected supportive parents and I am so grateful for that and I have one younger brother and he's like about as like healthy in terms of this stuff as you can imagine. He's just the complete opposite of me. Wow. <laughs> he's like in corporate America and he like goes to the gym and he's like, he's, he's great, but he's like, I'm like, how are we other than having like the same face with like slightly different yeah. <laughs> attributes? Like we're very different people. Um, but so it was all, you know, we had this like, pretty typical suburban upbringing with, you know, and, and typical in terms of like when you would think of like, Oh, that sounds nice. I know that's not typical for everyone. Um, but yeah, then I, I think I was like 19 when I found out some stuff that had happened in my family and I was like, wait a second, uh-huh. like that doesn't match. <laughs> and I just, I don't know. I, I used that and I don't want to go into it because I've learned yeah. over the years, like that's someone else's story and not yeah. mine. Yeah. Yeah. But, Absolutely. Um, no problem. But yeah, but like, it was sort of like, 
okay, well, I can't trust anything now. Also, I'm probably going to make all these same choices that this person made. So, F it. Like, I'm just going to go off to the races with whatever because nothing matters. And I, it's like becoming this, like, you know, nihilist all of a sudden um, about how to live life. And, yeah. um, but it wasn't, I was blaming, you know, I was doing a lot of blaming for mm-hmm. family stuff rather than saying like, okay, you know, I can make my own choices. You know, I'm 19, I can move on and, and do things. But I, I certainly made my own choices. They just weren't necessarily uh, very good ones for the next set of years. <laughs> yeah so then so okay so after after high school like Mm -hmm. and so you have now made a a pattern of using uh substances to make yourself feel better so then how how did everything play out through college and later on yeah college actually so i also was able to for a, a good amount of time sort of um switch off like the you know or at least take a break um and do things you know a little more straight laced for a while um i should not say the term straight laced because uh, by the way i um relate a little bit to the idea of sexuality because i'm i'm well i'm not gay i'm bisexual and that was a part of like figuring things out um yeah but anyway then not i digress but no i mean i think that's um, a huge part of i think that's also a huge part of it is that for those of us who grew up in the 80s and 90s like like queer gay all that had a lot of negative connotations societal Mm -hmm. wise and then also for any of us who are in religious backgrounds you know so we we couldn't we didn't have an adolescence basically because we tried to hide it you know yeah so i think that's a huge part of it like don't downplay that at all no you're right sometimes i downplay it because sometimes especially if i'm talking to someone who identifies as gay i feel like i haven't um had to deal with some of those uh you know some of the same discrimination some of the same things that they've had to deal with so i almost feel like i don't like deserve that like see you know what i mean as a bisexual person because it's like well here i am i'm in this heterosexual marriage now yeah i don't you know, I'm not facing any of the stuff that my gay friends are facing, but so I do tend to downplay it. But th- it's funny because they'll all say the same thing. They're like, Corinne, just like be a bisexual woman. It's okay. Like, yeah, just own it. That uh, yeah, happen. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, don't like, don't be like, you know, throwing. Yeah, don't be a martyr because you don't need to. Yeah. Like, <laughs> exactly. be the support that be the supportive, awesome person you are and accept it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, because yeah. I realize we have to accept it, yeah, in ourselves, because how exactly. is our allyship ever authentic if we're not honest about ourselves? And that actually, it's funny you say that, because to go back to that idea of childhood before I talk about college, I mean, I was writing in my journal as a little kid, I think that I like girls, I think I, I and my first sexual feelings and experiences were with girls like as a young girl experimenting and and that was confusing and i remember i actually ripped those pages out of my journal like ripped them out and then ripped them out and then threw them out because i didn't want anyone to read it yeah and um yeah and then the the thing that you're saying about like how it wasn't yeah the 80s 90s i think that i was thinking about this before um we talked about how the other thing that in a totally different way wasn't part of life as much and like wasn't 
sort of accepted unless you were really, really, really off the rails was yeah. like rehab. Yeah. I remember like getting help for any of this or even therapy, like anything that would like address mental or mental health or rehabilitation in any way was like you would hear about like the kid in the next town over who went to rehab. Oh yeah. You know? like, oh yeah. Or like, you know, um, or like that person's in therapy. And yeah. it was like you had to be really like it wasn't a thing that everyone did or encouraged. Oh or no, supported. not yet. Definitely not um, yet. And then also on I mean, I was just thinking about this. Like, I mean, one of my favorite shows is Friends. But mm-hmm. when you think back on looking about looking at Friends, they always made fun of Chandler for possibly being gay. Yes. You know? Like yep. and and then finally when Will and Grace came out, but that was like nineteen ninety eight. Like it was the end of high school really. And so it was just like I don't know if I'm allowed to like this show. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. yeah. no, totally. So, so much has changed. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that idea with college, which <laughs> incidentally was where more of that exploration happened because college, um, I was, you know, I, I'm a really great faker of things. <laughs> that sounds so bad, but I, you know, I had interviewed for this scholarship to college and, I was, I was, um, you know, did well in school, but I wasn't like the valedictorian or anything like that. But there was this interview based scholarship at a school down in North Carolina. And I knew I wanted to be a music therapist. That was something that once I discovered existed at 17, I was like, that's it. Like, that is exactly what I want to do with my life. I come from like, my mom was a special education teacher. My dad owned a music store and it that wasn't on purpose to merge my parents into a career, but you know, I was like, that's it. And it put me on this trajectory when I got a scholarship to go to a small liberal arts school down South in Charlotte, North Carolina. And um, I had a really good college experience actually. Hmm. Um, sorry. My, my son is now a dinosaur. If you can hear him. Yes. It's very <laughs> cute actually. So don't worry about it. It's fine. All right, cool. It could like be like, meditative for people in the back. Yeah, I mean, I think it's um, going to be fun. <laughs> so I went there and I really formed friendships that were are still really long lasting. And I actually had a really good experience. Now, I, I did all the things that like, I guess, you know, you're expected to do in college with drinking and, you know, it's smoke pot or, or this or that. Um, but it wasn't until after that that I started to really make some more zany choices, impulsive choices. Um, and I think part of it was that, it, I don't know, something about that space where I went to school and the people that I was with, I don't know. I look back on that and it was such a familial and supportive time. I don't think that I wanted to feel different as much. Like, I don't think I had that sucker for a state change urge as often when I was in college. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, that kind of makes so, sense. Yeah. I don't, I don't know why. I, I Maybe I should think about that more like what, and try to like recreate that. <laughs> well, know. I'm just thinking that you, you were like we all did. We're suddenly experiencing a lot more freedom. Freedom yeah. of not having to check in with our parents, not like mm-hmm. just being able to not having, we weren't accountable to anybody but ourselves, you know? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it was just like figure it out. And so it totally makes sense to me that you suddenly were yeah. like, okay, I can like kind of ease into this now. Like, no yeah, 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 yeah. 
Exactly. And initially, like that space, like 18 to 22, I was pretty well adjusted. I would say I got to a point where I had to treat. I have ADHD. So it's been a long road of um, doing things that aren't prescribed to me to self-medicate. And then, you know, finally coming to terms with it and figuring out how to exist and treat that in a healthy way in my sobriety, which I can get to later. But in college, I really had like a reckoning with it and I couldn't keep up and I couldn't get my work done. And I started to really struggle and sort of went off course. Like I had this with a scholarship, a full ride. You like have to have a certain GPA. There's an expectation, you know, to keep that. Yeah. Um, and so I, I put a lot of pressure on myself and then I didn't do it. Like I didn't graduate on time. Um, and I, you know, I, it wasn't all negative. I was just like, well, I'm just going to take a little more time. And they didn't penalize me for that. I just had to pay for some stuff, you know, more classes. And um, I then, though, just started to choose things that were not uh, well thought out, I guess. I got married very young. Um, so I related to, like, the first marriage deal. Um, yeah. I like like this podcast, by the way, I'm promoting your podcast in case anyone for some reason would listen to mine before yours, which they won't. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, no, thank you. Sam. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sam's story first, because Corinne's story references Sam's story. Um, but it was, you know, I got married, like, after meeting someone and we fell in love and it was like, this feels amazing, like a drug and got engaged at six weeks and married at six months. And I was just like, you know, that all took off. And I really started just everything I chose or did was extremely impulsive, you know, appropriately for your twenties to a certain extent, but along with it came more alcohol, more drugs, um just constant like normalizing things like drinking like multiple bottles of wine every night because it was wine you know we're classy we're grown-ups now so we drink wine versus you know beer in college and um you know and then like everything would sort of level up you know like we'd have the wine and we're like oh you know who brought the you know, I can like directly reference things in this right like yeah (laughs) um who brought the coke you know oh cool you know and And I would find myself in lifestyles that supported this being part of it, like a musician, you know, I was in a band with my ex-husband and we weren't like out of control with it. It just was, you know, part of the lifestyle. If you were a musician, sometimes you did this. And um, I, I drank probably daily, um, maybe skipping a beat every once and again, but it didn't seem to be like anything different than anyone else I was around. Um, And so I took that sort of way of uh, moving through the world and just like more of that. So I, we got divorced because it was a, you know, we we're too young. I was too young. I, um, I was not faithful and I manipulated a lot of situations at that time to sort of end up like, you know, it was 26 or 27. I was like, I cannot be domestic. I need to live my life. You know, I was a music therapist, but I, w- I was working full time. But that as music therapist it is a different thing than like 
someone with like a job they go to <laughs> nine to five every day. I was working like I was living in Philadelphia and working because my ex-husband and I had moved up to Philadelphia from Charlotte. I was working in Pottstown, living in Philly, and I would work like the mornings into like the evenings because you really had to piece together your job um, as in, in practice like that to make it work. And I was just like burning out and then the drinking took off more. Um, mm-hmm. But when the divorce happened, I was so depressed and hit a complete like, who am I? What am, what am I doing with my life? You know, that identity crisis thing that other drugs seem to help um, alongside the alcohol uh, a lot more. And also toxic relationships. Like I had a string of toxic relationships, um, the first of which being one that brought me to New York. Um, and me and, and the person I was dating at the time were like, we were so, we were so cuckoo bananas, man. <laughs> we did some things. Like I remember we like, smoked a bunch of weed and they were like we should go to new york tonight and like see if we want to live there but we didn't make like any plan and we had no money so like we get there and we spent all our money at a raw foods restaurant for like one meal and they were like oh yeah do you know anyone who like lives here can we stay anywhere because we didn't have any fare to get back home (laughs) no so we just like had to sort of walk through New York the whole night and like fell asleep on the subway and on a bench a couple of times, just like poor planning. And um, I remember my my paycheck came through that night, like at like 5 a.m., my paycheck cleared. And so I went from like rags to riches and went to like whatever hotel we saw in that moment. And I was like, we're getting a room there. It was like $400 a night, probably like my whole paycheck at the time. Oh my gosh. (laughs) So we stayed at like the robe and we're drinking and smoking and, you know, it, um, everything in my life worked in extremes pretty much. Um, there was no, like, you know how we talk about finding the middle, like that was where I would avoid at all costs. Like the middle was like very uncomfortable, boring. Yeah. Um, very vulnerable space that I did not like to be. Um, so yeah. So and, and New York then after that, because clearly after doing all that, the, the correct decision is, yes, I have the means and the, <laughs> the plan to move there. I've proven that to myself with my one night debacle. Um, so I moved to New York and that's like really where stuff got pretty crazy. So, um, yeah, I think that's where my disease took me to the point of knowing I needed to get sober for sure. Wow. Okay. So, I mean, you can go into as much as you want or you can at this point move forward. Like, so, so then how, like, yeah. How did you get sober? Like, yeah. So, so, um, so uh, yeah. And I don't want to do, Oh, my, my baby just knocked his head. I know that's how I felt at the time too, Sebastian. Um, so I, (laughs) (laughs) I was, you know, living back to the two life thing, just like in high school with marching bands, standing on the marching band field and attention on painkillers. I was living like two lives in New York. I was teaching kids music by day. Um, and by night I was, you know, living the life of like a Brooklyn artist and 
really would find a way to surround myself with people who, in my view, were worse off than me. It wasn't even intentional. It was like, oh, okay, you know, like people do heroin here. That's like was as as regular as walking to the end of the maybe not as regular. Not everyone did it. I don't want to say that. But it was like I could normalize pretty much anything living there, any behavior, any substance. Um, and as long as I found someone who was doing it more than me, it meant I was okay. Exactly. Um, oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I did that. And one of the people that I found was doing it more than me was someone I fell in love with and he died. And that was like my holy whatever moment. <laughs> um, yeah. And I, it didn't get me sober though. Cause you know, as this disease works, like that doesn't always do it. I crashed pretty hard after that happened. Now there were good times during that time. I mean, there was a lot of beautiful music made. I remember I got to um, have this really cool gig playing once every two weeks at a jazz club in, in Manhattan. So like certain life dreams were achieved a little bit. You know, those are things I look forward to telling my children about that, you know, mom did this and, but alongside it was this very dark, very um, just this dark underbelly of the whole thing. And like he wasn't the only person who passed. You know, there was a lot of addiction, a lot of um, toxic relationships, a lot of codependence, a lot of stuff in that whole scene, um, along with all the magic. I was part of like an artist collective um, for two years and. I, it's weird because in a sense, I wouldn't trade it. Um, but in another sense, you know, it really, I don't know, maybe it needed to get me to my bottom. Maybe that was part of the whole thing. Um, so when I got sober after he died and just a lot happened, there was just a lot of like, wow, I really need to get out of this place. Like this is not healthy. Nothing was healthy. The food, the drugs, the the mentality, the lack of resources, the um, all, everything. And I moved to Florida and <laughs> I actually connected with someone that you and I both know from high school. Yep. And we, because again, I was like a serial monogamist. Yep. I just skipped from relationship to relationship. Weirdly, not with women. I've only like been with a couple women in my life. And I often look back and I'm like, huh, why didn't I date more women? <laughs> I should have done that. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, but I just would like jump from relationship to relationship. And, you know, he was sober and he and I had been really good friends throughout uh, the whole like adolescence into 20s. And so we connected and we were, you know, we tried dating, but I was in no place to date, even though I was like, let's move in together. And, you know, I, I definitely <laughs> good at like convincing people that's a good idea because he went for it. And I like moved to Florida. I know I'm like, boy, I must be all powerful if I can convince a sober person to do something stupid. Um, but uh, I'm not all powerful, as I've learned in the past 10 years. <laughs> I just was really, you know, I think both of us had some choices we were making at the time that we probably wouldn't make today. But I, I think I just really wanted to be somewhere where I felt safe again. I didn't feel safe in New York. And mm. 
um, had done a lot of things like to create that unsafe space for myself, you know, the mentally safe, physically safe. Um, so it felt safe in Florida. He felt safe. And I was completely inaccessible in terms of like relationship to him. Um, and I was drinking. I like he was sober and we had this apartment and I was drinking every night. And my job was working at recovery houses. <laughs> because, oh, wow. Yeah. So not as a drug and alcohol counselor, but as a music therapist. Um, oh, wow. So, yeah. So I got these jobs when I moved down. Not all of it. I also worked in hospice because there's a lot of like, well, you know, yeah. like Florida's older oh, yeah. age population and then the recovery capital of <laughs> the United States pretty much. All of the South above. Florida. Yes. So I worked in both those um, settings and I would go and do a music therapy session with like a group of people who were alcoholics and addicts. And then I would leave and I would go to the liquor store and buy a bunch of liquor and drink alone because my, you know, roommate was sober, uh, my you know, boyfriend or whatever. And I didn't really see anything wrong with it for a while because I spent so much time trying to manage other people's addictions and isms that I really couldn't look at my own. Um, and then I just lost, I feel like my, I, I kind of had a little break. Like I was on the way to work one day and I couldn't do it. Like I, I've always had anxiety, but it wasn't a panic attack. It's like, I truly feel like I went I had like a weird mental break. Like I was driving and all of a sudden I realized I couldn't drive. And I realized I wanted to be, I remember the thought I had, it was not, and I liked how you said trigger warning, but trigger warning, it was not suicidal. But at the time I was like, I want to be in the universe with my ex-partner who had passed. Mm. I just want to be there. I don't want to be here anymore. Mm. And I drove myself. I didn't have insurance at the time, um, of course. <laughs> I also owed the IRS a lot of money, but I drove to like the mental health clinic there. And um, I, I remember going in and they have you like fill out a card of like your drug and alcohol history. <laughs> and I filled it out. It was like, everything you could imagine you know it's i don't yeah. know if you're a mr show fan but there's a funny sketch where like a guy's taking a lie detector test and he starts to say these things he's done and it's like not turning up his lies and they just keep getting more and more extravagant it was like that like i've done heroin i've done you know all these things because if you gave it to me i would take it and i would you know whatever just i, I don't know if i even hoped for the best i just didn't really think about it and the guy looked at the card after he filled it out. He's like, uh, sort of like, are you sure your problem isn't that you're, he didn't say it, but his like, eyes are like, this is not like normal. Like, you know, this, right? Like this could actually be why you're so sick or part of it. Yeah. Um, and I remember I got, you know, put on some medication, some anti-anxiety medication, but there was nothing about, they can't tell you like at the mental health clinic necessarily, like you're an alcoholic, you yeah. need to go. But I was seeing a counselor um, for grief because uh, of what had happened. And I remember I just asked her one time, I was like, you know, I've been thinking, like, I wonder if this is actually 
what's going on with me too. I go to these groups and these people talk about these feelings and I'm like the facilitator of this group and we're writing these songs and I feel all the same ways and I do all the same things. You know, I wasn't doing as hard drugs at that time, but I was drinking to deal with life like every day. Um, and, and then until I didn't want to even really be in life again, being out in the universe, it's weird. Cause now in hindsight, I'm like, the universe is my higher power. So I weirdly like wanted to like in an unhealthy way, connect to my higher power at the brink of sobriety. And now in a healthy way, I want to connect to it. It's just very strange. But, um, so yeah, she said to me, I'll never forget. She said, do you feel like you've earned a seat there? And I remember that stuck with me for a long time because I have like a hardcore case of imposter syndrome. I'm like, I don't know. Oh, I don't yeah. know if I've earned a seat. Like, what, what do you have to do? Like, should I go, like it says, you know, in, in certain literature, like, do I need to go out and try some more? Like, she wasn't saying not to. She just wanted me to, like, um, I think that she might have said that actually after I went to my first meeting. And maybe I was still waffling a little bit. You know, I was like, oh, you know, I went to a meeting. and um, But then when I went and really committed, that was it like that program of recovery. And it was, um, it was the fall of 2012. And I know initially my sobriety date was the end of October. I got really drunk when my grandmother died. And then I was like, that's it. And the next day I went to my first meeting, but then I came home in November and rationalized doing some other substances that I was like, I need this, even though it's prescribed to me and it was completely not a sober thing to do. So I changed my sobriety date to November 15th. So yeah, November 15th, 2012. And so I had 10 years in November. Um, Oh, awesome. Corinne, congratulations. Yeah, Thank you. Thank you. And I remember when you got sober and I saw, I think probably on Facebook or something, like that's so cool i had this like i had no idea yeah kind of well that response. was my thing with you was just like yeah. oh my gosh i can't wait to talk to her about this know, most people because i hit it very well until i didn't yeah. um or i didn't know fully until i did and yeah so a i got me sober for sure i went to meetings in florida eventually moved back up to pa um I eventually met my husband, who is also um, in a program of recovery. And, you know, it's interesting to have that because it's great because we hold each other accountable and and ourselves accountable for things. But I laugh because I'm like, man, it's like hard work to like recover together. At the same time, I think, how does every couple not have this? Because like, how do you even... You know, like, oh, Corinne, you you are preaching to the choir because (laughs) like during COVID, when we finally, when the lockdown first happened and, you know, so many people, I was sitting here thinking like, this is the worst thing for an addict, like to be, to be told like, now you have to be by yourself. I'm like, and I was just sitting there being so thankful that I have a, a spouse who he just, he just naturally, he just doesn't drink. He just chooses Mm -hmm. not to. And Mm -hmm. so. It like although he hasn't been through a a sober program and he has he's not an addict, it, just having that support though it was yep. like so yep. huge and so you're right. I don't sometimes I sit there and go I don't know how people do it. Like, like yeah, yeah. It's 
It's interesting because, you know, we have three children now and, um, you know, I guess on the experience, strength, hope part of this story, uh, you know, the past 10 years have brought so much to my life that I would not have without sobriety. I mean, I, as much as they say not to do this, I met my husband in a program of recovery. Oh, I said it. I, said I know. It. There are so um, many people who have, and it's fine. You know, I'm like. But like, that's where we meet people once we get sober, too. You know, like, we're not out at the bars. We're not, like, all my lifestyle would have brought me to before was meeting people in places like that, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, that. And I have thought everything, literally everything, jobs, connections to people. I mean, once I linked up to that, did the steps and then, you know, really started to form a concept of a higher power. And for me, it's, it is the universe. It's sort of like the um, connection to all things. It's being like in sync rather than not the awesome bands, which I mean, let's be honest, that's cool too. Um, but it's being in sync with like, uh, everything and everyone to where I'm not rejecting the flow and I'm not fighting it. And then I see so many beautiful things unfold. And those things aren't always like things that I want. Um, but they're things that I'll realize later that I or the people close to me needed. And then yeah. you see like, okay, that's what, you know, God or higher power is to me. It's, yeah. it's, um, sort of dependent on the fact that I don't necessarily understand it in the moment. Um, but, yeah, so it's just been this like 10 years of um, growth and mistakes, just luckily not like as huge ones. <laughs> I've yes. stayed in one place. Like we've actually have been in a house for like the last eight years. We, we bought a house eight years ago and I'm like, how? How does that like this is so not like what I did. I would just if anything irked me in any way, I would just peace out and start a new life. Um, and that has not been this, like I've stayed now I did stray from AA for a minute, but stayed sober cause I was exploring, uh, different, uh, like Buddhism and uh, meditation. And there was a program of recovery. Linked oh yeah. To that. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 I, I've read, um, there's a book, uh, re, uh, recovery Dharma, which is all, oh, yes, yes, yeah. Yes. Loved it. I, I thought yes. that was phenomenal. Like, yep, and I did one similar to that in the Shambhala practice of Buddhism, and it was called Heart of Recovery, um, and it was really great, um, but, you know, it was sort of like, I can liken it to when, and I think I've gone ahead and I've name-dropped AA, so I'm just yeah, like, oh, well, it's fine. But then, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, what did they say, the jig is up? Yeah. Um, you know, when that all started, I'm sure there weren't you know, I, there's not like a, a website that tells you what 10 meetings are happening that day. And there's not, you know, you're pulling it together and you're making it work in the beginning. And that's sort of what it was like when I did that program of recovery. It was great, but it was dependent on like this one meeting. Yeah. And like, oh, yeah. we didn't, yeah, have it figured out where like people could switch because like only one person had a key and that had to go through like this and this person for like how the rent worked with this. So there's so much in in uh, our shared program of recovery that is so uh, magical that I take for granted. Like the fact that there's no leader, the fact that there's like always a place you can go yeah. and always people. And it's literally written in that like, if there's not a meeting, so you show up and the door's locked, well, you just need two people. And that's yeah. it. You have a format like at your fingertips. It's just, and that's what I need as 
I, I, you know, and I'm not one that believes that everyone has the same path for anything, um, recovery included, but that's what I need. I need to have that like consistent availability and an opportunity to, um, be helpful too. Cause yeah. you know, I will check myself out if I'm not externally accountable. Um, and it's just, it's, it's cool. It's really cool getting to like help other people or, um, I don't feel like any kind of, you know, again, the imposter syndrome sneaks up. Like, why do they think I know what I'm talking about? Oh, but, yeah. <laughs> you know, I think that's good, too, because I can then call that humility. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, Corinne, this has been so fun. And I mean, it clearly over the past 10 years, what you were saying is clearly why you are still sober today. Yep. Yep. And the, ten, you know, I look at my now three children and I'll, mm. I'll end with this because it's, this is really cool. I, we have three kids and my daughter, um, I have a daughter and two sons, and she wrote me a letter on my 10 year anniversary this year. Oh my gosh. And it um, said, mommy, I'm so proud of you for 10 years. And she knew what it was because we talked to her and like talked to them in an age appropriate way about you know what we do. And she says, I'm so proud of you for 10 years. Thank you for taking care of me today. Oh. And it was so weird because she said today. Yeah. And I've been sober through my motherhood. But yeah. it's as if she had like a uh, an attunement to the idea of like, just, you only you know, have today. just for today. You only have today. And yeah. it's, I put that up in my window right by the kitchen sink so I can just read it every day. That and is so awesome. And like, that's my higher power right there. Like that is where it lives, you know? Amen. Oh, well, thank you so much for doing this. Yes. Thank you for asking me. I was really honored. Yeah. Um, I really hope that you enjoyed my friend Corinne's story. Uh, It was so fun. I I can't believe that we got to do that. And I can't wait till I maybe can see her again in my life. But it was so fun that we got to connect this way and just, yeah. So anyways, next week, I have a wonderful friend, new friend, actually, named Catherine. And um, she is coming to share her story. And actually, from what I understand, this was the first time she's ever really shared her sobriety story. So I am even more honored that uh, she has entrusted me with that. So next week should be great. Please come back and listen. And as always, thank you for listening to the podcast. Please follow on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you find your podcasts. If you're a sober addict and you would like to come on and tell your story, as always, I would love to talk with you. Or if you have questions and are looking for some help, reach out. You can find me at my website, whyareyousober.org, or email at sam at whyareyousober.org. You can also find me on social media, like Facebook and Instagram. And with that, I hope you have a wonderful week. And until next time, I am wishing you all peace, love, and a whole lot of joy.